The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may, be, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of Your Word to our hearts and to our lives. We pray that You would help us to have ears to hear it and the will to obey it. In the name of Your Son we pray. Amen. The Father wants us to bear fruit. Much fruit, in fact. It is His desire that our lives be fruitful. It is His desire that our lives reproduce themselves into fruit. In fact, the first command of Scripture to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, the first image that we have after the story of the creation 
as God had spoken all things into existence and had created man from the dust of the ground and had breathed into man His very life-giving breath, you've got the image of a garden that was prepared for that man. The Garden of Eden itself was a place of vegetation, a place of life, a place of fruitfulness, a a place of bounty and goodness. God likes fruit. He likes reproduction. It's part of the world. It's part of the very fabric of the world and how the world continues, how the world propagates itself by bearing fruit, by being fruitful. The end of this story, in the book of the Revelation, when you get to those final chapters, it tells of the tree of life that is on either side of that great river. There's a river passing through, and there are the tree of life on either side, bearing fruit without fail for the healing of the nations. God likes fruit. And in our lives, the Father wants to bear fruit. Much of it. Lots and lots of fruit. The fruit of righteousness, right relationships and right living. The fruit as we follow Jesus of discipleship, growing in Him, learning to to follow Him faithfully, learning more about Him and the implications of our relationship with Him. The fruit of evangelism in sharing the good news, sharing the story of what God has done to redeem the world and how that story has brought us into itself. And how that story invites us to invite others along. Wouldn't you like to give your life to Christ and follow Him and be part of this great story? The fruit of evangelism. Of replicating what God has done in a different way in the lives of others. By inviting them to come and to take part in this great story. There's the fruit of ministry. God does create us for good works, the Apostle Paul says. He created us. He prepared good works for us to accomplish. And His grace calls us into His life so that we might have life. And through that new life, we might take part in God's great campaign in the world to minister to the needs of the world, to share His grace and the good news of His gospel to the world. The Father wants us to bear fruit. Much fruit. But only healthy branches bear fruit. At the beginning of spring... Lindsay and the kids and I, as, our, as is our annual custom around that time of year, planted some seeds in our yard. 
They also planted some tiny little bushes, little tomato plants and whatnot. But those seeds began to germinate and put down roots. And those plants, the roots that they already had, began to work their way through the soil of our front yard and the little garden spots that we have in it. And those seeds that had been planted within just a few days, perhaps a, a week or two, began to sprout above the ground, little tiny leaves. We thought nothing was happening. In fact, we, we talked about, uh, well, it doesn't look like we're going to have anything because we had little, little holes in the dirt. And we had seen squirrels out and we had seen birds picking around and we thought, my goodness, every last one of those seeds has been eaten up by the squirrels and the birds. But lo and behold, just when we began to despair, all of our work had been in vain, boom, you have tiny, tiny, tiny little green leaves popping through the ground. And after several weeks, you had big plants and vines. Green beans and pink-eyed purple hull peas vining around everywhere. We had to set up trellises so they could grow make their way up. Little squash plants popping up and growing. And the, the squash plants created this big kind of canopy over over their section of, of the garden. Big, huge, bright green leaves. And every morning, in the midst of those green leaves that made that green canopy over the squash bed, you would have beautiful, beautiful, bright yellowish-orange flowers, squash blossoms. And every morning they would open up and they looked like enormous lilies. And they would eat up that dew and in the afternoon when the soil began to dry up, they would close back up. But the very next morning they would open up again. They did that for quite a while. We planted banana peppers and jalapenos and tomatoes. And they've all been doing their work. But you know, just a few weeks ago when the squash when the squash blossoms began to fall away, we thought, hey, we're about to have some squash because when the squash blossoms go away, they give way to squash. And those tiny little squash will begin to grow and within days you've got Beautiful, big old squash and zucchini. But we noticed the leaves started to turn a little yellow and they began to get all spotty. We've got a little kind of medium orange squash that's still on the vine and all the plants have started drying up and something went wrong. Our squash plants were unhealthy and they haven't borne any fruit. Now we've eaten squash this summer. A lot of it's been given to us by our neighbor Brad, who many of you all know from here. And um, his mom and dad have a big old garden over in the, the Hiram area. And so they bring us squash and tomatoes and all sorts of stuff. Huge zucchini. I'm talking... Zucchini as long as watermelon. But our squash plants were unhealthy. They bore no fruit. 
our green bean plants and our uh, pink eye purple hull pea plants. They were fairly healthy and they've produced a little bit of fruit. We've we've gotten some green beans and some some purple hull uh, pink eye purple hull peas from them, but not a whole lot, just a little bit. I didn't realize that a purple hull is named a purple hull because it turns bright purple. That was kind of weird. I thought, what in the world is all over our vines out here? And they look like little red sticks. Then it occurred to me, ah, hence the name, pink eye purple hull peas. They look like black eyed peas until they turn bright, bright red purple. But I tell you, our banana pepper plants and our jalapeno plants and our tomato plants, they have produced a lot of fruit. We've had so many peppers, we've been giving them away. We've got a new neighbor that moved in in the, uh, the very end of our cul-de-sac. We now have 19 kids among like seven houses, I believe, on our cul-de-sac that are all 12 and under. And there are like three houses on that cul-de-sac. They don't have any kids. Two houses, maybe. But we've been having so many, so much fruit from these peppers and tomato plants. So we've been having to give them away. We've been pickling them. We've been, yeah, we gave some a big old bundle of them to to uh, to Jeremy and Billy. Gave some to the new neighbors. I'm not much of a farmer at all. I'm not much of a gardener at all. But I know one thing. I know that when a branch is supposed to bear fruit and it's not bearing fruit, for the sake of the plant, you're supposed to get rid of that branch. After all, it's using up and wasting resources, water and nutrients. You get rid of the fruitless branches for the sake of the fruitful ones. And as Jesus told His disciples here, even those that bear fruit, sometimes you have to prune them so that they'll bear more fruit. You cut back wasted parts. You begin to reroute. Now bear in mind, when Jesus says that His Father will prune those that bear fruit so that they might bear more fruit, and when He, when he says that the branches that don't bear fruit will be removed and will be cast out and they'll be dried up and eventually be gathered up and burned, He's not, say, he's not, he's not giving some sort of aha, you're out type speech. Because God is always patient. He is always willing to relent. He is the God who through the prophet Jeremiah told Israel, you might as well pack your bags because you're out of here. The Babylonian forces are at the gates and you're as good as already in exile. You're done. You're toast. But if you will repent, perhaps... We can change this thing. So Jesus' warning is just that. It's a warning. 
It's not a threat. It's not him taking delight in getting rid of fruitless ones because after all, he says, my father wants you to bear fruit. He wants to see fruitfulness in your life. He wants those branches to be healthy and strong and rooted so that they might bear fruit. But only healthy branches bear fruit. As Jesus refers to Himself as the vine and us as the branches, we begin to realize that we can be healthy branches only by abiding in Christ. For He says, apart from Me, you can do nothing. Abide in Me. Abide in My love. So that you might bear fruit. We can be healthy branches only by abiding in Christ. Now this past week at camp, we had lots of decisions that were made for Christ. There were lots of young people who, who gave their lives to Jesus, who, who decided to start following Him. There were others who decided to return to Him and others yet, who, yet still who decided to begin to pursue Him even more in their lives. I'm telling you, there are folks in that young crowd that are going to be called to ministry, full-time ministry. There are going to be missionaries from our southeast region within just a few years. There are going to be pastors and youth pastors and worship leaders. It was funny. Lindsay was, uh, was charged with playing the piano. Y'all didn't know she could play the piano. She's been brushing up for the last couple of months like crazy, playing almost every day to get ready. But as she would sit around the piano and be practicing in the afternoon, she'd have four or five kids all around her, and they weren't even hers. Some of them were, but some of them weren't. And they were sitting on the, on the bench beside her, and they were asking her about notes and chords, and she was showing them you know, some of the, some of the, some of the tips. Those kids are hungry. I sent David a text he, a couple of days in. I think he was waiting for me to catch my breath from camp starting. He said, how's, how's it going? You know, what sort of numbers we got? We had 12 kids who were um, between the ages of 3 and 7. It's a good group. We had 12 kids between the ages of, of 12 and 17. And we had 24 kids between the ages of 8 and 11. And I'm telling you, God is at work in those kids' lives. They are hungering for what God is doing in their lives and what God is wanting to do through their lives. They're already asking about ministry. They're already asking about what they can do. They're already brainstorming about their gifts and how God has has wired them to work in His world. It's amazing. Camp always reminds us of decisions. It always reminds us, as I I mentioned last week, of mountaintops, about high places where God brings us to to these great pinnacles, these great points in our lives where He does great things. But Jesus says, that we can only bear fruit by being healthy and we can only be healthy by abiding in Him. 
By staying in Him. By sticking around in Him. And what does it mean to abide? It's kind of a weird word. We normally don't use it in, in other contexts of our lives. You know, when, when David's on the road and Krista checks in with him, he normally, I don't think, would say something like, well, I'm abiding quite nicely in the hotel room. It's one of those religious, religiosity type words. Like a, like a hedge of protection. We don't use a, the term hedge of protection in any other part of life other than when we're referring to God protecting us on the road or protecting us you know, from the fiery darts. Fiery is another one of those words we rarely use. But what does it mean to abide? Jesus very clearly wants us to abide. He is very obviously encouraging us to abide. He says that apart from abiding in Him, we can't produce fruit. We can, in fact, do nothing. So what does it mean to abide? To abide abide means to rest or to make one's home. He's talking about putting down roots. To abide is to stay securely. Every year when camp comes around, we got three folks. One of them's normally there. Two of them are all, or, well, two of them are almost always there at camp. Three, three folks who celebrate a birthday during that week of camp. We've got McKinsley down in uh, Dublin, Chris and Ashley's girl. She always celebrates a birthday. And then a a day or two later, Emery Silas here always celebrates a birthday at camp. And normally Chris Williams is in town with us for camp, either as a teacher, an evangelist. And he always celebrates a, a birthday. This week it was the last day of camp. But Emery all week long has been asking us, what's, what's, what am I giving him for my birthday present? Because we don't do his birthday present there at camp because that would just be kind of weird. And plus, it would be more stuff we'd have to travel with. And so we always tell him, you know, you're going to get your present when you get home. And so when he got home and we got settled in and we got, you know, half the laundry done, we decided to break out uh, Emery's gift. And he got himself an aquarium. And that aquarium's got live plants and all sorts of all sorts of neat stuff, but one of the things about those live plants is you've got to get them down into the soil. You got to get them down, protected to get those roots down deep so that they'll be protected. Just like any other plant, you can't just plop it on the dirt and expect it to go to work. You've got to get it down into the dirt so those roots will have somewhere to go, somewhere to hide, somewhere to pull out nourishment. Those plants have to abide or else they'll die. And abiding in Jesus, abiding in Christ, includes obeying Him. Jesus Himself said so. Now, obedience is not a popular idea because of the distortions it often brings to mind. We think of legalism. Oh, preacher, you're just, 
You're just wanting us to become a bunch of legalists where we always got to do these things, always got to do those things, and never can get away with doing these other things. That's a distortion. It is possible to obey Christ without being a legalist. I don't know if you caught that memo, but it was there. We think of Pharisaism and self-salvation. Oh, you're talking about you're always harping about obeying Jesus. You you think you can save yourself? No, I think Jesus can save us enough so that we can obey Him. Amen. We think of the distortion of a works-based righteousness, where we're producing our own sense of righteousness, where we can measure up to the standard ourselves in our own effort, in our own strength, in our own works. But again, that's a distortion. Abiding in Christ necessarily includes obeying Him. He Himself said it. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in my love? Obey me. Keep my commands. Jesus links love and commandment. Love and obedience together. They are not separate things. They are two sides of the same coin. And so what are some of the basics that fall under this broad category of obeying? I want to share with you this morning just four, four, four of the, the, the basics, the very elemental things that help us to obey Christ and therefore to abide in Him. Abiding in Christ includes participating in the life and ministry of the local church. The local church is the fertile soil of our lives. It is the setting. It is the context of walking with Jesus. It is, it is the environment or the habitat of living as plants in the life of Christ. Now you might say, wait a minute, Pastor, you're mixing your metaphors here. Jesus says He is the vine, we are the branches. Where's there any conversation, any discussion about the church? You're talking about plants being in soil and Jesus is talking about vine, branches being grafted into a vine. All of Scripture helps interpret itself. Jesus, Jesus necessarily is assuming the local church when He's talking about abiding in Him. His Apostle Paul says that the church is a body and that if a part is removed from the body, what can happen to that body? It can be harmed. But what happens to that part? It begins to die. Jesus says, unless we abide in Him, we cannot bear fruit. Unless we abide in Him, our lives cannot be healthy enough to bear fruit. We can do nothing, in fact, apart from abiding in Him. And participating in the life and ministry of the local church 
again, works as, as the fertile soil of our lives so that those lives might be able to take root in Christ and might then grow up and bear fruit. We don't like to hear it much, but this is, in fact, a deal maker or a deal breaker. Involvement in the church. All other spiritual disciplines spring from participation in the body. In fact, show me a man who says that he reads his Bible and prays and does all those spiritual disciplines that we normally think of, but he doesn't go to church, and I'll show you a man who probably doesn't do any of them. It is in this sort of context that the writer to the Hebrews said, we have the opportunity to stir up love and good works, which is the whole sum of the Christian life. Love. And working out that love. So you want an easy way to begin bearing fruit in your life? You want an easy way to, to be, be sure that you have the opportunity to abide in Christ? Participate in not just this activity, but starting here. Participating in the life and the ministry of the church. Abiding in Christ includes also reading and I'm going to say searching the Scriptures, the Bible. I use that term searching because when we think of the term study, we normally think school. And when we think school, we normally think, oh goodness, I don't want to do that. But John Wesley talked about searching the Scriptures. And it's, it's beneficial to our lives to not just read the Scriptures, but to search them as well. Because the Scriptures operate like seed in our lives. The fertile soil being our participation in the, the life and ministry of the local church. And the seed being the Scriptures. Now how do I, how do I search the Scriptures? What does that mean? What does that entail? For starters, I was thinking about this just this past week at camp. Get a good cross-reference Bible. You know, my, my preaching Bible, I have a Bible that I've preached from almost every, every sermon I've, I've given uh, since, since I began college. Um, it's one of those little thin line ones, so it doesn't have the cross-references in the, in the margins. But I tell you, it's, I, I do have... A study Bible at the house that has the cross references, and not all cross reference Bibles are study Bibles per se, but a Bible that I use to study that has those cross references. Those cross references are so helpful because they make it easy to search the scriptures. You're reading through a verse and you see a little flag there, and you look and it points you to another passage that you can flip to and look at. And I remember being a teenager and, and so desperately wanting to grow in Christ. I had given my life to Him. I had been raised in the church. I would always known who God was. 
But I came to that point where I said, you know what? The faith of my parents has got to become my faith. I'm a, I'm a growing man. I wasn't a grown man. I was a little boy. But I'm a growing man. And I appreciate what I've inherited. But I'm wanting to establish something as well that I can pass on as an inheritance. And so I gave my life to Christ and I began growing. And one of the things that really helped me to grow because I was so hungry to grow was by reading my Bible and by flipping from passage to passage, not just at random, but seeing, seeing where the rabbit hole would lead as I was flipping through those cross-references and reading a few verses here and then flipping to where they referenced and reading a few verses there. So how do I search the Scriptures? A good cross-reference Bible with a pen and a journal will do you a world of good. We need the Scriptures in our lives because if the Word's not getting into our lives, there's nothing there. There are no seeds that can take root. So, church attendance and church participation is not everything. It is the soil. And the soil without seed is just dirt. But you start getting the seeds down into that good soil and you've got opportunity. Opportunity not just to have a plant, but to have a fruit-bearing plant. Abiding in Christ necessarily also includes prayer. Prayer serves as the water of our lives. It hydrates us. Because in prayer we are communing with God, the giver of life in Christ. Prayer waters the soil of our lives. Prayer both publicly and privately. Prayer together as a congregation and prayer in our own lives as we're lifting up our needs and lifting up the needs of our congregation and as we're simply spending time talking and listening to Christ. In fact, without prayer, our soil goes dry and the seed of Scripture can't germinate and can't grow. And so without prayer... We lose the opportunity to abide. We lose the opportunity to grow and to bear fruit. Abiding in Christ includes also Christian fellowship and accountability. Well, what part does fellowship and accountability play? Is that we got the dirt, we got the seed, we got the water. Fellowship and accountability serves in our lives as a type of tending. You know, you've got to tend a garden for it to be a healthy garden. Sometimes you begin noticing those leaves start turning yellow and you've got to figure out, are we watering too much or too little? Is there something wrong with the soil? Maybe we're... We're having to water it so much we had to read up a lot about those stinking squash plants that were dying on us. 
maybe where it's so hot, we're having to water it so much that all the nutrients are washing out of the soil. Maybe we need to get some miracle grow or something, something to help fertilize, something to help put nutrients back in. But tending the soil of our lives is done by fellowship and accountability. Fellowship keeps the soil moved. It keeps it from compacting. It keeps it loosened up. And if our involvement in in the lives of Christian people is simply showing up for worship on Sunday mornings and spending an hour shaking hands, hugging necks, and walking away, then that soil is going to quickly begin to compact and be not very life-giving, not very nourishing. And in our lives, we often find that weeds begin to spring up. In our garden, we find grass popping up in the midst of where we're trying to get peppers and tomatoes to grow. And so we pull that grass out. We like grass. We give it a shot. We pull it up and throw it back over where it's supposed to be growing. And maybe it'll take root. root. Who knows? But we've got to keep that garden tended. Accountability in our lives helps keep the weeds out. We need people that we can be that we can be transparent before, that we can that we can be honest with, that we can share our burdens with, and who can speak into our lives and tell us, hey, that can't be there. For your sake, out of love, I want to encourage you. Abiding in Christ has to do with obeying Him. But normally when we think obeying, we think negative. We think burdens. We think responsibility. And responsibility is a good thing, but sometimes the kid in us always says, man, responsibility, I don't want that. But Jesus connects obedience. He connects His commands to love. And further, He talks about that love in the context of friendship. He says, you're not my servants anymore. I'm not calling you servant because you are my friends. A servant doesn't know what's going on. A servant doesn't have the Master sharing with Him His heart and sharing with Him His plans and sharing with Him His dreams and His hopes. He says, no, I've shared all that with you. You are my friends. And I love you. And greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He's preparing them because this conversation with the disciples is taking place just hours, perhaps even moments, before Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, some, some scholars believe that it's quite possibly taking place as they're making their way in toward the Garden of Gethsemane, which is why he would begin to talk to them about vines and branches and fruit being born. But he tells them of his great love for them, and he connects their obedience to him to love and to being friends. And he tells them that he wants them to be joyful. 
that He wants part of that fruit in their lives to be joy. His joy. To its fullest. Abounding. To abide in Christ ought not be a burdensome thing to us. To spend time with other Christians ought not be a burden. To spend time in prayer and in reading the Scriptures ought not be a thing that we see as a duty or a love. Now sometimes it is better to do something out of a sense of duty than to not do it if it ought to be done. One of the most daily and mundane and poignant examples is brushing your teeth. We have to fight with some of the younger kids sometimes to get their teeth brushed. But it doesn't matter if you feel like it or want to do it. You need to brush your teeth. I always tell the kids, nobody wants to smell your dragon breath. That typically works you know, within the, the hour of them waking up. But these acts of obedience ought not just be something of duty. Though if duty is what drives us, then so be it. Do it if it ought to be done. Jesus wants our abiding in Him to be something that is rooted in love and that is the product of friendship that can bring about in our lives the fruit of joy because the Father wants us to bear fruit. And apart from abiding in Christ, we cannot, we will not. Let's pray.